I am particularly thankful today because we have an AV team in the back that many of you don't even realize is back there. That's because they take care of all the details. So things that go up on the screen, the sound, we're just so grateful for them because I can't do that. Even if I wasn't up here, I, I wouldn't know what to do. So I'm thankful for people who help out in that. And if you're interested in a way to serve the church, uh, and that would be something that would interest you and encourage you to go stop by the Connect Corner after the service, talk to one of the hosts, give them your information, and we can make a connection for you. That's what the Connect Corner is all about. Well, please open up your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 5. We are starting the last chapter of 1 Peter today. It's going to be on page 1078 in that Pew Bible. And again, if you don't have an English Bible at home, we want you to have one. So visit one of our hosts at the Connect Corner afterwards, and they will give you one for free. And also, if you need any help on knowing how to get the most out of the Bible, let them know, and we will follow up with you on that too. Well, today we're looking at verses 1 through 4, and this sermon is called Shepherd God's Flock. And let's pray as we begin, shall we? Father, you are a good God to us, and we are grateful for the many ways you care for us. In particular, you have raised up godly men in your church, and they are given to us to lead us, to feed us, to protect us, and they use your word as the way to do that. We know that none of these men, none of us are perfect, and we know that this is going to oftentimes cause conflict and trouble. We want our hearts to be such that we would trust the ones you've given to us, but do forgive us, Father, when we have despised or rejected your gracious shepherds to us. I pray that you make our hearts eager to submit to you and willing to discuss and to talk when those conflicts arise, but please make us a church who collectively wants to come under your son's leadership. Now, as we come to your word, we desperately need your help. We need to understand what this says. We need help in how to live it out. So guide us in all these things. I pray this will be done for our joy and for the glory of your son. And in his name I pray, amen. One thing you probably didn't think about on the way to church today is about a sheep. Well, actually, there was one person who came in to the worship service, and on the screen was our toddler's ministry, which we call Little Lambs. And he was so excited, he pointed to the screen, he said, sheep, sheep. Probably no one else here thought about that, but I wonder what comes into your mind when you think of sheep. He was very excited about it, but if you've ever been around sheep for much time, you're probably not as enamored with the sheep. Uh, people often think of their cute, fluffy, cuddly, when in reality they're anything but. They are not clean and white, they get dirty, and they're not something you want to cuddle with. Now, to understand sheep will help us understand how the Bible views us, how God views us. So let's just have a think about sheep. Sheep are unlike many animals. They can't find their way home. People who try to get rid of their dog, drop it off across town, the dog shows up the next day. The sheep will not. It gets lost. Sheep have no ability to find their way around. They can get disoriented easily and they'll just walk around in circles. They won't try to come home. What they need is a shepherd to guide them. Sheep are also fond of eating. They spend most of their time eating, but they will eat the same tuft of grass till it's gone. They'll eat the dirt until it starts to poison their bodies. They have no discernment about poisonous plants or bad water. They'll eat it or drink it all. In fact, some sheep will go up into water, they'll fall in, and they'll drown because they don't know how to get out. So they need a shepherd who can lead them, who can guide them, and protect them. 
Now, as I mentioned, sheep are dirty animals. And the reason for this is they, they secrete a lanolin. It's oily, it's sticky, and it causes anything to cling to them like Velcro. And so they'll get dirt, they'll get sticks, they'll just get anything that wants to cling to them. And this is dangerous because it accumulates around their tails. And what can happen is if they don't have a shepherd who can cut that away, eventually it'll clog their backside and they'll be unable to eliminate and they'll get toxins in their bodies and die from that. Sheep have no ability to clean themselves. They need shepherds who can care for them. If they are attacked or startled, they will bolt, they will panic. They, they don't know how to defend themselves, so they need a shepherd who can guard them. Now, when you think about all this, does it surprise you that the Bible likens us to the sheep of God's pasture? Maybe that image of a sheep is now not so complimentary anymore, and yet God loves us anyway. He, he wants to care for us because we are so much like sheep. Believers will pursue the wrong kind of spiritual food. They'll follow the wrong kind of people. They'll go their own way and wander off and will become unclean. We're really defenseless against our enemy. We, we don't have discernment on our own. And God says, I will be a shepherd to my people. But not just that. God has given to his church and to believers, a means by which he wants to shepherd them and protect them. It's a provision that God has given to us. And what's remarkable about this provision is it's the same for us today as it was when Peter wrote this letter almost 2,000 years ago. So we are in desperate need of understanding that provision and understanding how to relate to it. So we're going to read it together, and I just encourage you, take up your Bible, stand with me, and follow along while I read 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. And this is Holy Scripture. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseen out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The rules of the Lord are good and true, and they are righteous altogether. Please welcome it today, and you may have a seat. Here's our big idea for this text. These four verses, they emphasize three elements of spiritual shepherding. Three elements of spiritual shepherding so that you will trust God's provision at all times. These verses are to give us confidence and to cause us to trust God even more about how he will help us stand firm even in the worst moment of life. So these three blessings, these three elements of spiritual shepherding, the first one is the shepherd's commission, verse 1 through the beginning of verse 2. There's a shepherd's character in verse 2 through verse 3. And finally, the shepherd's crown in verse 4. So let's just jump right in and look at the shepherd's commission. Go back to verse 1 with me. It says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Now, one word that's missing in this particular translation, the CSB, is is unfortunate that's missing. It's the word that's often translated, therefore, or so that, and that's making a connection to what came before. The reason why this is here is because of some other idea. This is the natural conclusion of what he just said. 
And if you look back at verses 12 through 19, the very end of chapter 4, you'll discover Peter was talking about a great trial. He called it a fiery ordeal that came upon these Christians because they were being faithful to Christ. And this is causing a lot of tension. Should they follow God? Should they avoid the community? Because they could get into serious trouble by following God. And this whole thing comes to a big conclusion in verse 19. If you look back at chapter 4, 19, he says, So then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing good. Therefore, because of all that, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. And he goes into this exhortation. It's this suffering and and persecution that undoubtedly puts strain on all those church members. Can you imagine, you you know a a believer across a county and they're being harassed. There's a believer in another part of the country and and they're being taken to prison. Their goods are being confiscated. It's going to cause fear and, and stress. What will happen to us? In some parts of the world, they don't have to imagine this is happening even today. But what Peter is saying here through the Holy Spirit is, If that's happening to you, that one of the means I have for you to stay fast are these people that are called elders, these men in the church. This is God's means of holding us fast, regardless of a fiery trial, regardless of trying to figure out how do I do good in this time, God says, I have a provision for you. And as we understand who they are and what they do, it gives us confidence that this is a very good thing for all of us. So he's writing to these elders. In fact, in the original language, it starts out with just the word elders. Just to get your attention, if their mind is drifting, thinking about those who are in trial, suddenly they're brought back in. Elders, who are are those? Well, they would have been identifiable people in the church community. Now, this was a a time when the Jews were well-known for having different leaders in their communities. They called them elders as well. Originally, it was just referred to an older man. We use that term today as well, but it was a technical term for people who were leaders in the community. And it usually came because of life experience, because of knowledge and wisdom. They, they were given more respect and, and deference to their opinions. City councils were made up of people who were called elders. Synagogues had elders that led them, they taught them, they organized the time. The men who made up the Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin, they were called elders, And it seems like the early church just adopted this term and some of the practices, but with a difference in how it was done in Christianity. And so these Christians talked about elders quite a lot in the New Testament, but it doesn't come up until Acts 11, about the middle of that chapter. And it just mentions it casually. These are elders in the city. It was something that reveals this was in existence for a while, probably at the beginning of the church. By the time you get to Acts 20, Paul is calling together an established group known as elders in a church in Ephesus to meet with him. And in fact, he sent out his ministry companion named Titus to the island of Crete. And his purpose was to appoint qualified men as elders to lead the churches there. Now, if you go to Titus chapter 1, and this is important to hear, this is the qualifications of what it takes to be one of the elders in the church. And so Titus 1 started in verse 6. Listen to this. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, 
holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. In a similar letter written to Timothy, the first letter in chapter 3, there's a, a list that also focuses on the importance of godly character. That's foundational. It's not about your wealth, your position in society, your family background. It has to do with a godly character. Also in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, he adds that these men were to be good at leading other people. They were to be those who labor at preaching the word and teaching. And so the responsibility for the spiritual care of every local congregation has been entrusted by God to humans who are themselves sheep like the rest of us. Now it's evident that the churches were always led not by one elder, but by a plurality, by several. They were biblically qualified men. So here is Peter exhorting these elders. He's calling them to come alongside himself so he can encourage them and compel them toward God's will for the church. But before he gives the exhortation, Peter brings up three significant features about himself. These three features help us to trust him as one who can give this exhortation. Notice the first, the first feature is that he is a fellow elder. Now, what's interesting is he begins this letter, chapter 1, verse 1, claiming to be an apostle. That's a high status. It's one that God appointed. There were only 13 of these men, and God chose them to be his representatives. They had a, a level of leadership in the church. So Peter said, I am an apostle, but here he doesn't use that authoritative title. He says, fellow elder, because he's saying, I'm in this with you. I go through the same struggles that you have. I know what this is about, and guess what? God can help you do it as well. He's endearing them to himself. The second feature about Peter is that he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, witness has two meanings. Here, it can mean, for example, someone who's an eyewitness, that Peter was physically present watching the sufferings of Christ. And we know he did witness many of them, Peter witnessed as the popular support for Jesus turned into hatred. He witnessed as Jesus was rejected by his hometown. Even his own family rejected him. He witnessed the Jewish leaders plotting against Jesus. He witnessed Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. He witnessed Judas' kiss of betrayal. He was there looking on as the high court illegally tried Jesus for crimes he didn't commit. Now, we don't know whether Peter was actually there at the crucifixion or not, but he was an eyewitness of many of the sufferings of Christ. So he could be talking about that, but I think the term is more general than that. A witness is also one who tells a true story. And the reason I think this is the case is because he's giving a status about himself that can be true for these elders as well. They can also tell the same true story, even if they weren't there physically present to see it with their eyes. So he, he's calling on them to bear witness to the truth of the scriptures. He's calling on them to tell people the need to repent and trust in Jesus Christ. To warn unbelievers about the wrath of God that's coming upon them that they do not turn to Christ. Right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he commissioned his apostles in Acts 1.8. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
And in this sense, all these elders were witnesses as well. And so are we. So it shows that responsibility of the elder is to bear witness to these things over and again. So when we share the truth of, the, of our experience with Christ, what has power is not so much your personal experience, but it is this book. This is where the power lies. Friends, we need to quote this book when we share about the work of Christ. We need to trust the truth of this message to other people. We need to talk about it. You see, it has power that your personal experience will never have. What Paul said in Romans 1.16 is still true. This is where the power is at. Listen, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Yes, share about how Christ met you, but make sure you take them back to the scriptures. So we see that he is a fellow elder. He's a witness. A third feature about Peter is that he is one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. It's a future glory. The time when Christ is going to come back. And Peter had been nurturing his desire to see this so much that it's as if he lived with that expectation. It was going to happen in the next moment. And because it was so vivid in his mind, he was already sharing in the joy of that moment. This glory is going to be visible when Christ comes back. Now, Peter remembered what it looked like. He got a glimpse of it on a mountain when Christ revealed himself. He said that he shone as bright as the sun. James and John were there with him. But here he's talking about the full expression of his glory, not just for a moment. In fact, back in chapter 4, verse 13, he talks about this, his coming glory. He said, rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Here's the reality. If you live with an anticipation for the coming of Christ, you too will be a partaker in that glory even now. All these elders he's speaking to could enjoy the coming of Christ as much as Peter and as we as well. So we have these three significant features about Peter. And he's instructing these elders how they can stand firm themselves and help other people to do the same. They also were fellow elders with Peter. They also were witnesses of the sufferings of Christ every time they taught the word of God. They also were partakers in the glory to be revealed. Now this prepares us to understand the significance of the commission he's going to give them. Look at verse 2. He says, shepherd God's flock among you. Because all these things are true. Shepherd God's flock among you. You have everything you need to take care of these people. Now, the way that Peter uses this verb, it's a command, shepherd, it, it conveys urgency. Peter knew that these sheep were vulnerable. He knew they needed protection and care. And so he knew that they needed strong and faithful shepherds to engage with them. In this sense, shepherd isn't referring to one who is with physical sheep. It's a metaphor for those who watch over people. The same word shepherd is what we translate as pastor today. It's people who care for others. Now, in verses 1 through 4, Peter uses three terms for the same office. He talks about the elder. He talks about the shepherd, the pastor. And then in the next verse, he's going to talk about the overseer. Three terms for the same role. Now, when he talks about elder, he's referring to the spiritual maturity and influence of the man. But when he talks about shepherd, it's the way that that man is to take care of the sheep. And elders were expected to behave themselves toward the sheep in a certain way. 
Now, Jewish leaders were familiar with this term shepherds. They were often called shepherds, but it wasn't always a good reference. You see, God considered them shepherds to be over his sheep, but when they disobeyed God and led those sheep astray, God had strong words for them. Listen to what he said in Jeremiah 23, verses 1 and 2. He's rebuking these, liter- these leaders for their wickedness. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attracted them, attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Wow. God would judge them harshly because they were misrepresenting God, the good shepherd, in their, their evil treatment of the sheep. God says that is evil. Be careful if you want to aspire to leadership in the church. You will be held to a different standard. But this is not all that God wanted for the shepherds. He wasn't ready to abandon this because they, they went astray. He had in plan to raise up good shepherds, and he continues in, in Jeremiah 22, 23. He says, I will gather together this remnant of a flock out of all the places to which they have been driven, and I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. You see, good shepherding removes fear and dismay of the sheep. And this is why God gives to us these men. So Peter's commissioning them to shepherd God's flock. And when Peter said, shepherd God's flock, it must have taken him back to that passage we read in John chapter 21, where God commissioned Peter to do the same thing. In John chapter 21, it specifically says that Jesus prepared a breakfast over a charcoal fire. Why specifically that detail? It was over a charcoal fire weeks earlier that Peter had denied knowing Christ. And smelling that charcoal fire as he came to Christ, the whole thing would have come back to him, his dramatic failure. And he would have wondered, who am I to sit in the presence of my Lord? He felt like all he could do was fish. He was not worthy to take care of God's people. And it must have been an emotionally charged time But in response to each of Peter's denials, John 21 records that Jesus gave a new commission to Peter. In short, three times he says, shepherd my flock. How? Well, in two verses, John 21, 15 and 17, he clarifies this by saying, feed my sheep, Peter. That's how you shepherd my sheep. Peter, having received that and been restored by Christ, is now saying to these elders, you too have the same commission from the same shepherd. What this reveals is the most important responsibility in shepherding is to feed the sheep. The shepherd feeds God's flock with the word of God because you cannot become like Christ unless you have a diet, an intake of God's word. You must know Christ in the scriptures. That's why in 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, he commands the elders to preach the word and nothing else. This alone will be our message. But also, shepherding the sheep implies protecting them. And one of the greatest dangers in the church is the danger of false teachers. 27 books in the New Testament, 26 of them warn specifically against the danger of false teachers. And so the 
through the teaching and the regular instruction of God's word, the sheep gain understanding of truth. They, they grow in discernment so they won't be pulled astray. Now, the, the shepherd needs to be one who's willing to step up and face the false teacher if need be. For example, Titus chapter 1, it ends with verse 9. These elders, these shepherds need to hold fast to the word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and reprove those who contradict. A faithful shepherd must know sound doctrine. He needs to know this book inside and out. He needs to grow constantly in his understanding, sharpening his mind, understanding what are the dangers out there so he can come to the sheep and say, watch out for this. He's to boldly warn against these false teachers and false doctrine. And as the sheep are fed, and they are so well fed, when the false teaching comes, they'll say, I don't want that. That is so subpar. I'm not interested in that. And so the shepherd's desire is to feed and fill you with God's word. A pastor, a shepherd, will know his sheep. He'll watch out for dangers. He'll seek to heal their wounds. He'll correct them when they go astray. And he does this through a spirit-given ability to use a scripture to counsel other people. So Paul gives us commission as well to the Ephesian elders. He says it in in a more powerful way. Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. We have to remember, leaders, elders, we're not leading our church. This belongs to God. I will be held accountable to God for what I do in this role. Because these people, they were purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I must be very careful in how I approach them. But yet, they still are sheep. And as we know, sheep are are known for being slow and, and dim. They oftentimes will blindly follow others. In July of, 20, of 2005, there were 1,500 sheep that suddenly spooked and jumped off a 15-meter cliff. That's about 50 feet high. The first 400 plunged to their death and died, and thankfully the rest that came over, the other 1,100, they were cushioned in the fall by the pile of the sheep below. This is what we're prone to. And the shepherd knows this, and he's watching out for the sheep, and he's making sure no one is being taken astray, taken off a cliff. But what's interesting is, in spite of this reality of sheep being like this, Peter, when he talks about the flock of God, he uses a term of endearment that means precious little flock, my my beloved ones. You need to remember, dear one, that you're loved by God. And that's why he gives to you elders to shepherd you. They are tangible displays of God's glory, even in their imperfection and their errors. Now, since Christians have been committed by God to the care of the elders, the elders need to take this role seriously. This is why Hebrews 13, 17 tells all Christians, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for what would... For that would be of no advantage to you. The call to submit to your leaders is not blind agreement with everything they say. You will have moments when you wonder, what was that all about? Or moments of strong disagreement. Obeying and submitting refers to that which is in full agreement with the scriptures. But if you disagree with a direction that the elders are going, talk to them, seek to understand their reasoning behind it. And even if you still remain at the end in disagreement, 
as long as they're not leading you against the scriptures, say, I will choose to submit to that instead of being someone who will be disadvantaged to the congregation. They're given to us for our good. And it's to our, our, our good and the benefit of the congregation to seek to uphold them and to submit to them. So as we understand this first bit about who these shepherds are, it helps us to trust this is who God has given to us and they will help us to stand firm at any time. It's a weighty commission, isn't it? And it requires us to trust God fully. I want you to notice the second element of spiritual shepherding. It's the the shepherd's character. So in verses two and three, he says, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. There will never be a perfect shepherd. There was never going to be a perfect shepherd, apart from Christ himself, the chief shepherd. But we're looking for people who demonstrate consistency. Their trajectory is growing in Christ's likeness and in these particular pairs of descriptions. There are three pairs given here, and they show us what the character of these men need to be. So in addition to being an elder and a pastor, he is overseeing. That means he's a spiritual leader. He's watching over with care. He's making sure things are functioning correctly. He's bringing organization. He's bringing concern. He's watching over the teaching of the church. In fact, one of the first elements of being a biblical shepherd is that in 1 Timothy 3, that you aspire to be an overseer. You desire to do this role. Now, overseers and elders, they watch over the flock with precision. An overseer implies implies leading, directing, taking people to where they can become more like Christ. But overseeing also means they scrutinize the content of the songs. They'll make sure that the content of the books in the bookstall or in the resources center are going to be beneficial for you. And if anyone brings a question about a resource, they will look into it. They will study it to make sure it's good for the congregation. You see, an overseer is not here to entertain. The overseer is here to ensure that the sheep get this necessary spiritual nutrition and protection. In overseeing, he must never let a secondary matter keep him from his primary purpose of feeding and shepherding the sheep. So notice that this, first of all, overseeing is done without compulsion. This is the kind of person that is talked into it. People keep coming and say, you'd be really good at that. You should do it. And finally, they're, ah, okay, I'll do it. Don't sign up for spiritual leadership if that's your motivation. In fact, the great uh, C.H. Spurgeon, the famous pastor down in London in the 1800s, he said, if you can do anything else, do it. If you can stay out of the ministry, stay out of the ministry. This is referring to an external compulsion of people talking you into it. But there is necessary in the shepherd an internal compulsion that you feel like, I have to do this. I remember sitting on a, a subway in Argentina in Buenos Aires, and I, I thought to myself, I'm, I'm not a pastor. I wonder what I'd do with my life. I had a long moment of absolutely nothing. I could think of nothing else that I wanted to do or thought I could even be good at. I was compelled to this work. Now, this compulsion is, is not external, but it should be a willing compulsion. It's a spirit-produced endurance that will cause you to not quit, even in hardship or discouragement. And it comes as a free and joyful response to the shepherding that God gives to us every day. Now, this is so often what 
enemies will do, especially governments, they'll look for the leader of the church and they'll strike him. And when you do that, the sheep will scatter. That's why you need a shepherd who is, he's going to stay on task because he, he wants to do this, even though he knows there may be greater consequences for him. The elder overseer, he shepherds with a tenacious willingness like Paul had in 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Or in Romans 1, 14 and 15, he said, I am under obligation, compulsion, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is the kind of willingness that every elder needs to have. Both a a sense of compulsion and a, a delight in it. It makes the diligence delightful to him. Secondly, this overseeing must have pure motives. Look what he says. It should not be done out of greed for money. And this is referring to more than just, I want money. It's, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that money, including deceiving people, defrauding them, tricking them to give more to the offering, to help me out because I'm not doing so well. God hates the man who fleeces the sheep. In fact, this is an identifying mark of the false teachers. They are given over to a greed and a lust for money. They, they keep asking for donations. They call it seed money that'll help the miracle to begin in your life. If you just give them a little bit more, you'll get more of a miracle out of them. In Peter's second letter, in chapter 2, verse 3, he says, In their greed, they will exploit you with their false words. One pastor summed it up so well. Ministry for money and personal gain is a prostitution of the calling of the Lord. This this desire for money cannot be found in that man. And yet there's a reality in which the overseer who gives himself to the work, the Bible says he is to be compensated for that work. In 1 Timothy 5, he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor at preaching and teaching. The first honor is to be appreciated. The double honor is a financial compensation for his work. He goes on in 1 Timothy 5, 18, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. The laborer deserves his wages. Pastor and theologian R.C. Sproul once said, businessman, A businessman told me, I don't think the pastor should make what I make. And he asked the man, why not? The man was kind of speechless. And what it communicated is he didn't think the pastor was worthy of what he was making himself. What R.C. Sproul went on to say is pastors leave the ministry often, not because of the salary is too low, but because the implied message is that their work is of little value. Galatians 6.6 6 exhorts us, and the one who is instructed in the word is to share all things, good things, with the one who instructs him. Recently, the London Seminary, back in November, they had an article about the British mindset of frugality instead of generosity. And they they did a survey of many of their graduates and said, are you well cared for by your church? Do you have what you need to survive? And most of them said no. They, They weren't making it. The churches were not making up the loss that they had with the rise of living. Martin Luther faced the same issue in his day back in the 1500s, and he cried out against the thinking of, we've got to keep the pastor humble lest he become greedy for wealth, so let's pay him low. That way he won't desire more. And Martin Luther said, it is not for you to keep your pastor humble. 
That is God's work, not yours. And God has many ways of doing it. It is your job to encourage your pastor. Now, I want to be clear. This church takes good care of myself and my family. We don't lack anything. This church is abnormal, though. You have to understand all your offerings that come in are watched over and carefully given to those where it should go. We want those who work here to feel like this is a blessing because I don't have to worry about how to take care of my family. And this church has done that. But I bring this up not to entice you to somehow help me. I don't need that. I want you to know that some of you are going to eventually go to a different church where they don't take care of their pastor. And I want you to be willing to go to the leadership and say, why are we not taking care of our pastor as God would instruct us? What does it say about how we value the shepherds that God has given to us? Thank you for how you take care of us. There shouldn't be greed. There should be eagerness. And the, the pastor he's cared for by the flock has eagerness to, to meet their needs. He loves to engage in his duties. He cares about their very souls. Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. And that is the attitude of the elders that I work with in this church. Praise God for these men. What an incredible blessing you have to be under the care of these men. And the third description of an overseer is that they should not lord it over those entrusted to them. This is a domineering, harsh, intimidating, autocratic method of, of bullying people. Now, sometimes pastors can have bad days. They can feel pressure. They can respond in sinful ways, but they should quickly come back and say, I was wrong. But if they habitually act like this, they're not qualified to be caring for the sheep. I wonder if Peter, as he wrote this, remembered what happened in the Last Supper. Jesus had just shown them the bread and the cup and what it represented, and then immediately after, they get into an argument with one another over which one of them was the greatest. And Peter in Luke 20, I'm sorry, in Jesus in Luke 22, verses 25, he says, the kings of the Gentiles, they exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them that are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. And Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. That's where we get our marching orders from, the one who did it himself. You see, the elder is to be an overseer, not an overlord. Instead of domineering, he remembers, I've been entrusted with these people. God knows each of these sheep by name. He cares about them greater than I ever could, and he's put them under my care? Oh, Lord, have mercy. How could I care for these people? And what we do is, it says, instead of domineering them, be examples to them. That's one of the ways that we seek to care for you is we seek to become like Christ ourselves so you can look to us and say, that is what it means to be a godly man. Paul knew this. He knew he wasn't perfect, and yet in Philippians 3.17, he said, brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eye on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. He said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In other words, whatever you see of Christ in me, imitate that. Whatever you see of Greg in me, don't imitate that. Learn from that a bad example, but seek to follow Christ. So elders, we are to exemplify Christ, especially in humility and in servanthood. So here are the, the servants, the shepherd's character, these pairs, willingly, eagerly, as examples. There should be no hint of compulsion, of greed, or dominance. It starts to build our confidence that, wow, these men, 
these men have been put among us to help us. And I speak as one who has gained greatly from the other elders in the church. There's a final element of spiritual shepherding. This is the shepherd's crown in verse four. Look there. And when the shepherd appears, you will receive the unfailing crown of glory. Now in Peter's day, the chief shepherd was called the ark shepherd. He was the overseer of all the younger shepherds. So if your sheep began to multiply and you needed to hire people on, then you got to have too many sheep, you had to split up. You had one, the the ark shepherd, who was over all the other shepherds. Christ is the chief shepherd over the under shepherds. Do you want to know who the true senior pastor of TCM Baptist Church is? The Lord Jesus Christ. I am his under-shepherd. So Jesus shepherds through his under-shepherds. Now, no under-shepherd has authority in themselves. Their authority is tied to how accurately they teach and counsel from the word of God. That this is the authority, and they draw you to it to submit yourself, submit yourself to it. Remember that if you don't submit to their godly leadership, it's not profitable for you. It's not profitable for anyone else either. Jesus is a good shepherd because he laid down his life for the sheep, but he's a chief shepherd because he rose from the dead. He has all authority over all men and every woman and man and boy and girl, and yet he cares for his sheep specifically through these spiritual shepherds. What Peter's doing right now is helping these shepherds who are thinking, oh, this is too much. I can't do that. That's certainly what I thought as I read this. Who am I to stand in front of these people and and talk about the very thing that I'm supposed to be doing? And then I read verse four and I said, praise God, I could actually get up on Sunday morning. He focuses us not on ourselves, but on the coming of Christ, the future revelation of Jesus Christ. When Christ comes, he will appear to us in unfiltered glory. And at that moment, when we see him as he is, 1 John 3, 2 says that we will become like him because we will see him as he is. Only God's children, though, will be changed. Friend, if you have not submitted yourself to the lordship of Christ, on that day when Christ is revealed, you'll know him only as a judge. Turn to him today. Give your life to the good shepherd. He will care for you through the body of Christ and the shepherds he has for you. When Christ appears, he will recompense these shepherds with an incredible reward. What is this reward? It's a spiritual blessing. He calls it the crown of glory. Notice it's unfading. This is a word of a particular flower that kept its red color even as it dried. The the awards that the athletes of the day got, their crown of leaves, they quickly faded. They weren't worth keeping. Some got golden crowns, but even those would eventually get tarnished or lost. But there's an unfading crown that is glorious. This is so much better than what we could aspire to in corruption. Corrupt elders pursue wealth or comfort, rest, status. They, They try to build up their social media empire. They, they try to boost their podcast subscribers. Not God's servant. He says, the only thing I want is to receive that crown of glory because the first thing I'm going to do with it when I get in front of the Lord is I'm going to cast it at his feet because it was impossible for me to get that apart from the grace of God in my life. There's no allocate, no special compliment, no material reward that can compare to this. And so elders... 
When we serve the church, keep this in mind because there are hard days. There are rebellious sheep. There are times when our own flesh is acting up. And we look to this and say, I want to be one who will receive that from the Lord. And we will get rid of any personal kingdom building. Like in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25, he says, Do do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath of glory. I was counseled by a pastor. He said, don't worry about the breadth of the ministry. You focus on the depth. Feed the sheep. Feed the sheep, he told me, and God will take care of the breadth. As the elder feeds the sheep, then God will reward accordingly. This is an unfading crown. It's a special honor from God himself. This is what Paul was longing for. At the end of his life, he wrote to his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, for the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Keeping this glorious crown in view helps the elder to press on. What do sheep do with that? Encourage your elders. Remind them it's worth it. It's worth it. Christ will honor you so that you can give him greater honor. Tell the the elder to keep on fighting the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith, because a good shepherd, the chief shepherd, will come back. It's all going to be worth it in the end. Well, just in these four verses, I hope you understand how taunting the task of shepherding God's people is. And yet anyone who's feeling God stir in them and they, they say, any man here says, I think I want to know if I could do that. Then pray. Come talk to the elders. We will begin to, to help you learn if that is God's plan for you. And the rest of us, let's pray for those. Let's encourage the elders and those who would become elders. We want to see godly men in these roles because it protects the flock. Let's be people who pray and encourage our elders. And let's strive to be a church that makes it a delight to lead. I wonder if we could have the worship team come back up. We're going to finish with a a closing song, celebrating our chief shepherd. Under shepherds, they can only serve you as much as they can depend and remember that Christ is our good shepherd. In him, we have no want. So I invite you, let's stand together and sing. The Lord's my shepherd
sheep you know how you can tell you listen to the shepherd's voice and you respond what did the shepherd tell you repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and then he said come unto me and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light if you don't know if you're a sheep you need to find out come and meet us in the connect corner and if you're struggling to hear the shepherd's voice we want to pray with you we want to encourage you to keep following the good shepherd that's why we are here as we finish up our time, I want to give you a blessing. We call it a benediction. It's out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. May God bless you all today.